You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Josh. My wife Katie and I are the lead pastors here at Banner Church. I'm not in my 20s, so don't freak out and leave. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're excited that you're here. We're in the middle of a series called Bless Life. And uh, it's a series that focuses uh, on money, but really it focuses on the heart. So if you came for the first time or you brought your friend for the first time and you're like, oh, dang it, we're still in that. Yeah, like I know I haven't seen you for three weeks, but we're still talking about it. So gotcha. No. <laughs> but we really have been talking about the heart. And what I've seen God do in just meeting with people, my wife and I, we've been meeting with people, isn't a work in the wallet. It's a work in the heart. What God has been doing, God has been blessing people since, since the fast. It's been amazing to see breakthrough in people's lives and provision in people's lives. It's been cool. But that's not the, the big, mega, ultimate, incredible thing that we're going for. It's the heart. It's that God desires your heart. In fact, God not only desires your heart, God desires to live in communion and relationship with you and to bless your life. And so these are all principles for breakthrough. And so we're in it today. And uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit, uh, a message called Breaking the Spirit of Mammon. And this is uh, something that I, I really researched and some of my favorite pastors have shared on this idea. I, I love this idea, so I'm going to share it with you today. Uh, but let's pray and we'll jump into it. Good? Well, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today. God, I thank you that you've just brought all of us from all different places and different backgrounds and different experiences, and you've drawn us here. And the reason is because you want to encounter us, and you desire to continually transform us. God, I thank you that the journey of pressing into you is not condemning, even when it's challenging, but it's always empowering and strengthening. And so, God, I pray you would strengthen us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I put up a picture today of my beautiful daughter. Let's see if it goes up. This is my daughter, Lucy. This is like, again, you know, iPhones were, you know, my phone took okay quality, and it was 3 o'clock in the morning, so this is grainy as it gets. But this is my daughter, Lucy, and uh, my wife and I, you know, had, or my wife had her. I was, in, I was there. <laughs> it's like... I was like encouraged, like, like I was as involved in this as I was the Super Bowl. Just like yelling. <laughs> like, you can do it. All right. Um, this is my daughter Lucy, and she's beautiful and amazing. Uh, she's honestly just the best. I, I love her so much. She's so cute. She's, she was a cute baby. I was worried. Not, I mean, my wife's gorgeous, but I was worried some of me would slip in there. And she'd come out ugly, and y'all, people would have to pretend. Like, oh, no, she's beautiful. But she's beautiful. I, I love her. And you can leave the picture up. You know, just leave it up. So really sink it in how gorgeous my, and beautiful my daughter is. But I remember the moment when we had, when after we had had her, we, after Katie had her, and I stood by, they gave, they gave us the child, and they told us to leave with it. So they gave me this beautiful, precious thing that has no ability to fend for itself. And they said, here. And then they sent us. Like, we didn't take a class. We didn't get certified. Like, to drive a car, I got to get a license. To raise a child, I just get it. Here it is. And they sent us out the door. And if you're a parent, I feel like you can resonate with me on this. It's like we're in the car, and we're literally driving. And I'm thinking, like, well, let's not go home, because if we go home, we're going to have to do something with this kid. I have no idea what to do. 
Katie read all these books about having a baby, which I feel like is humorous because it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But there was no books on like how to raise, there were, we didn't read any, there were. There, were, there was no books on how to raise the baby. And so we had this like precious gift and we're like, all right, well, I guess I don't know where to go. The crazier thing, and this isn't even in my notes, but um, I was replacing the heat because we live in what I would gently deem the hood. And we had old, old oil heating in a 1920s house, and we had gone to rip it out, and they were supposed to replace it and all these things. And it turns out it was Veterans Day, so they couldn't replace it. So I came home, and it was 45 degrees in our house. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we can't be here. So for a week, uh, we stayed at my folks' house, which is exactly as the man of the house where you want to take your wife is to your parents' house to <laughs> when they have a kid. <laughs> I felt like, I'm a provider. Uh, <laughs> it was great. really hit me in my pride, but. A lot of my life has done that, so it's good. And so we're, we get home with this kid. I'm like, what are we supposed to do with this thing? It's this precious gift, and I want to steward it and raise it, and I want to build this relationship, and I want to encourage it as much as I can. And, like, so I got to get the tools so that I do right by this kid. Right? Are you with me? It's like, I got to get some tools so I know what to do. And the message that I'm sharing you today is because you have received something precious from Jesus Christ. But I think so often we'll go to a conference or a service or an encounter, and we'll encounter Jesus, we'll, we'll pray a prayer that a preacher leads us to pray, but then he kind of like gives it to us to leave, and it's like, good luck. Here's the most precious thing you'll ever have in your life. Good luck raising it. And you're like, what am I? And now, I'm not saying you're going to lose it or it's going to die. I'm just saying like, there's a fear in us, like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And so we just keep driving around because we're like, I don't know if I should stop. Like, I don't know, serving kids? Is that, I mean, what's the epitome here? And like, yes, it is serving kids. But we're given this thing of, like, what do we do? And so what I love about Jesus Christ is that he's given us tools and he's given us ways to steward the blessed relationship that we've received. The blessing in your life is the Lord. And that God has come and he's accepted you. He sent his son to die for you. He went to the cross taking all your sin. He went to the grave. He rose again. He gave you victory. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You could come for a million years and you will not, you will not earn more of it or less of it. It's like he's given it to you. And since he's given it to you, the response is like, I want to treat this thing right. right? I want to steward this relationship because there's so much more. Just like in my relationship, it's the same thing with a kid. If I love on and learn the tools to, make, to, to grow this child, there's a depth there than if I just leave them in their crib. The same thing is true here in our relationship. There's a stewardship that happens to occur. And so whether we're talking about fasting or serving or giving or all these things, they're not pathways to salvation. They are responses to the beautiful gift that you've been given, that if we steward it, it unlocks it into a depth of relationship, and that's why you're living a blessed life. Are you with me? The blessed life is not numerical growth. The blessed life is heart growth in relationship that unlocks what God has for you through the principles that he's provided for you. And so we're a church that preaches principles not to condemn you but to empower you because I want to give you the tools so you don't just come in Sunday and Sunday out and feel like, well, I'm just not that person so I can't be them. Let me give you the tools because Jesus has given them to you to unlock blessing in your life. Are you with me? Amen. We're going to be in Luke 16. And I'm going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. Mammon is a word used in the Bible four times. Jesus used it three times, one on repeat. Uh, and if you want to know more, a little more about this, 
when I'm done, I can recommend you a really great book, which some of this uh, topic has come from through Robert Morris, and we're preaching this series, obviously. But we're going to be in Luke 16, 9 through 13, and I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, which you've been coming here. We, we actually don't read that much from this. Normally, I read ESV, and I'll explain in a second why. But I'm going to read to you out of Luke 16, 9 through 13, and the words will be on the screen. And I encourage you to follow along there unless you have a New King James Version because I think it's important, the wording. And I'll explain why in just a moment. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, you may receive, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, some of your translations, depending on what you're going, might say riches, might say money, or might say wealth. And that really depends on how the Bible was translated. And, and I want to share this because I think this is important because people ask me like, oh, wait, is that a different version of the Bible? And, and we get confused on, okay, who's saying what in different translations? And I just want to clarify, there's original text and then over time, there's translations as things change in language, and you translate into a new language. And so there's different ways to translate. And I put a little graphic up here so that we could see this together. Um, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Logan, for working the night shift and then coming and doing the slides. You're the man. Here's the different ways things are translated. You might see some versions. You notice ESV. Uh, NKJV, New King James Version, that's what we read. Uh, NIV over here for the non-denom folks. MSG over here for the college students. <laughs> Whatever works. Whatever works. I'm not knocking this. Here's what I'm saying is that there's different ways of translating. There's a word for word. There's meaning for meaning, thought for thought, and paraphrasing. Now, one of these is not wrong and one of them's right. They're just different ways of translating a sentence. Let me give you an example here. If I was going to say in Spanish, I'm 31 years old. Where are my Spanish speakers? Who's this? Katie, how do I say I'm 31 years old in Spanish? Tengo 31 años. So if I were to translate that word for word in English, what would I, what would I actually be saying? I have 31 years. So if I translated, I have 31 years, am I, am I wrong? No, no, right? Now, so again, follow me here. I have 31 years is a literal word-for-word -word translation of that. Follow me? A thought-for-thought -thought translation is I'm 31 years old, okay? So that's, that's the difference that's happening here. Some translations take it and go word-for-word. -word. So if you're really trying to understand a crucial Word in Scripture, sometimes a helpful translation can be a word-for-word -word translation. If you're trying to better capture the thought 
behind it, the full encompassing thought, for instance, how old you are, like a translation that is more thought for thought is helpful. Are you still with me? Okay, so the reason that I'm using a more word for word translation is purely because I think that word is so crucial. And the thought is important, but in order to understand this thought, we got to understand the word. It would be like this. If I wrote in another language and we translated, um, I'm going to give Christian a Tesla, and I I said that in Hebrew, and someone translated, Josh is going to give Tesla or uh, Christian a car, it's still true, just one is more specific. And if I said in another translation, you're going to get a vehicle, still true, but not as fully encompassing. So sometimes when we begin to do, when we begin to dive into scripture, we begin to uh, preach expository messages, it's key to think what are those words that we're sharing. So when you're looking at scripture and you see the word wealth and the preacher says mammon, it doesn't mean the preacher's a heretic. Are you with me? Now I'm just making up Old Testament uh, pagan deities. Uh, <laughs> but this is the process. Everyone's with me? Good. So this is the word that we get is mammon. And this is a more uh, form-equivalent translation. And so this is a really interesting scripture. We look at Luke 16 based upon what we're learning. And it raises up what I I think are three really good questions. And and I'm going to break it down. This is more of me putting on my teaching hat and less of my preaching hat. So we're going to roll with it. Cool? Um, And it says, here's the first question. If you're taking notes, there's notes on the back of that little calendar you got. Write this down. Write down, what is mammon? See, most people would say mammon is money, but I think it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just money. Because mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches. And in fact, it comes from the Syrian god of riches. So the Syrians had a false god called mammon, the god of riches. And this god came, here's a little history, from Babylon. Uh, I, I don't, you guys, if you've been in church or been around church or have like a really religious grandparent, have probably heard the term Babylon. And Babylon, it, the term comes from Babel, right? How many of you maybe have heard of the Tower of Babel? Here's passively, maybe you went to, you know, church and they had the felt figures. Uh, but Babylon comes from Babel, right? It literally, Babel, the word Babel means confusion. And on is a suffix, which means to be sown in. So Babylon means sown in confusion. And, and if you've never heard of Babel, let me just sum it up real fast. There was a tower of Babel where people on earth got together, all speaking one language, and they said, you know what? We should build basically an ascension platform temple to have access to God, to therefore be like God. So we're going to build up to heaven, which is bold. And so they decide to build up to heaven. What happens is what they're really, and what they're really saying is we're trying to be God. We're trying to have the authority because we have the wealth. We have the power. We have the ability. So we're God now. And God said, no, you're not. And he scattered them by the confusing their language. And he sends them all out. Babel. And really the Tower of Babel is the epitome of the spirit of mammon. Because the spirit of mammon says, you don't need God if you have wealth. 
See, the spirit of mammon directly contrasts itself to God. It's pride, it's arrogance that stands in opposition to God. And so if you're in Luke 16, regardless of your translation, it says you cannot serve both God and some of you say wealth, some say riches. But the word there is you cannot serve both God and mammon. And there's an intent and an understanding there that mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule over your life so that you look to mammon instead of to God. And hear me this morning. Do not feel condemned. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to read you the word of God that in my heart set me free so that you could be set free. Because can I tell you, many of us grew up serving mammon and had no idea. So God doesn't, not angry with you. That's not the kind of God that would send his son to die for you, to bring you into the life of freedom, to pay the cost for you. He's not angry at you. He doesn't think you're a rebellious idiot. He, he loves you. And so what happens is in my own life, is like, oh man, I, am I serving mammon and I don't even realize And God begins to awaken this inside because God says you cannot serve both. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now go with me here because this is important. I don't want anybody coming up and naming a preacher or a ministry afterwards because I will shut you down so hard. But... But this is why I personally struggled as a young person with prosperity doctrine. Don't you dare come up and name me a prosperity preacher because we will no longer be friends. Because don't, we don't mock preachers here. We, we just stand on the platform of Jesus Christ. So, But I struggle personally with prosperity doctrine, so I speak from my heart. And this is why. Because basically prosperity doctrine, for those who don't know, is like give and you'll get. God wants everyone to have a lot of money. And I believe God wants to bless you, and I've seen God bless people financially, but the hard part is that that message of God just wants everyone to have a lot of money, and the less sin you get in life, the more money you get in your life, and all these things, is it builds up a mammon-type message. See, the message of Jesus Christ is supposed to remove selfishness in your life. And so what can happen, and again, just personal struggle, honesty here, just for me, is that if I follow that kind of message about riches and wealth and those kind of things are, are linked to God and you know, God just wants me to have more money, what happens, what happens when I go broke? Because I know some great God-fearing Christians, even all throughout my life, who have gone broke, who have had businesses, have problems, who have had money and no money. And so what happens is if we attach to a mammon-type prosperity message, what happens is when it falls apart, we begin to blame God for our finances. And the church is full of people that blame God when they were really serving mammon. And it says in Scripture, you will either, you will serve one and despise the other one. See, this is the lie of mammon. See, mammon promises us everything that God promises us because mammon wants to take God's place. Follow me. Mammon promises you identity. Mammon promises you happiness. Mammon promises you security. Mammon promises you joy. But here's the lie. It can't deliver on any of those things. It's all just a lie. It's super good at promising and really bad at delivering. See, joy, peace, love, only God can deliver those things. And that's why Jesus is trying to instruct us, because mammon is a liar. In fact, I have heard it said this way, that mammon is a spirit of the Antichrist. Some of you are like, what? 
Like you have a crazy uncle that posts on Facebook that so-and-so political figure is antichrist, and you're confused. So follow me here, and we'll forget about crazy Uncle Greg and his Facebook ramblings. <laughs> but go with me here. Is it all in Scripture, both in Revelation and other Scripture, there, there's talking about the spirit of the antichrist and antichrists, so, so multiple but specifically the Antichrist. And in Revelation, it talks about how the Antichrist will rule. And the Antichrist doesn't rule by threatening physical harm and nuclear war and all of these kind of things. The Antichrist rules through a threat of you not being able to provide for your family. And so when you read in Scripture the threat of the Antichrist, meaning literally Antichrist, the, the, the threat of what stands against God is you need to kneel to mammon so that you can provide for your family. You need to take this mark upon yourself so that you can provide your family because I've set myself up as a spirit in opposition to God. If you don't bow to me, if you don't serve me, if you do not serve this, you will not be able to provide for your family. And mammon gets at us. Man, that gets at me. That gets at us. The Lord knows, Jesus knows that's a touchy spot because mammon's goal in all of life is to get you to serve mammon, to get you to bow to mammon. And Jesus says, no, God is the only one that can provide what you really need. Maybe not even what you think you need, what you really need. Only God can provide. Only God can provide identity. Only God can provide security. Only God can provide happiness and peace. But the problem is that mammon lies and says that he can. Anyone ever recognize this lie of mammon? It goes like this. If you only had more money, you would have more blank. If you only had more money, you would, be, you would have more significance. People would listen to you. They'd care about your thoughts. If you only had more money, you'd be happier. You would have more happiness. Everything would go better. Look at rich people. They must be super happy. If you only had more money, you would have a better marriage because you'd stop fighting about money and you'd start getting along. This is the one that gets people all the time. If you only had more money, you could help more people. Okay, follow me. This is really important because this, this changed my thinking because I'll be honest, I, I thought this way in my life. It gets me is we think, think of all the people you could help if you just had more money. Like, if you just had more money, you could be so benevolent. You could help so many people. You could do it. If you just had, if you just had more money, if you just got more money, you could help more people. But I want to tell you that money, though God uses it to help people, money does not help people. God helps people. It's about foundations. Money doesn't help people. Jesus helps people. See, Jesus never, I mean, unless I'm missing something, in which case you can bring it to me later, never told anybody in Scripture, you just need more money. Right? Like, if you can find me where a lame man crawled up to Jesus or the bleeding woman fought her way through a crowd and touched his cloak, he did not turn around and say, you need more money. That's not what he said at the pool. Jesus did not say, you need more money. He didn't say, go and get more money <laughs> when he sent them out. Jesus did not say, you just need more money. He said, you need more of me. You need more of my heavenly father. But how many of us have this thought before in our life? I need God to come through 
or I just need some more money. Right? Literally two weeks ago, I had this thought. <laughs> Literally two weeks ago, I thought this. And so it's here in the, in the thing, so you all know that I'm not perfect. I'm working through this through. It's like, have you ever thought like, yeah, I really need God to come through and fix my car, or I just need more money. And if I get the money, I don't need God because I got the money, so it's handled. But you don't need more money. You need God. We need a nation that no longer is thirsty for money, but is thirsty for God. Because money might answer some problems. Money might fix some things temporarily. Money might bring some mild resolution. But money cannot do what God can do. And so if we just say, God, help me, or eh, maybe I'll find some money, then what we're doing is we're not only giving our hearts to a spirit of mammon, we're turning God into mammon and saying, like, that's who I think you are now. You're the money provider. God says, man, I'm so much more than that. My daughter came to me, and she was hurting and in need. She said, man, I'm in a bad spot. I'm in debt. Uh, People are trying to hurt me. I feel surrounded. I just don't think I'd be that good of a father if I'm like, here's $10. We'll pray for the rest. Like, no, like, I'm going to help you. I'm about you. I've given my life to you and for you because I believe in you, because I love you, because I cherish you. And I want breakthrough and blessing in your life. So there's so much more. And so that's why I'm telling you about mammon. It's not to convict you. It's because there's more. There's so much more through the Lord. The second question uh, is, is money evil? Because in Luke 16, it says unrighteous mammon. It's an interesting thing. Let me tell you, mammon is a spirit. People think, oh, I don't know if, man, man, you're going too far with this word. I don't know if a mammon's a spirit. All right, let's do this. We'll take an offering, and you go to give it, and then just tell me if you hear voices. Right? Like, you (laughs) decide in your heart to give some money, and then just wait and listen. Because I guarantee you will hear things. Are you with me? You're going to hear some stuff. You're going to hear some things in your heart like, whoa, man. Why are you doing this? This is a stupid idea. Like, you're going to hear things. I don't know if it will be that falsetto, but you're going to hear it. (laughs) Because mammon is a spirit, and mammon is a spirit that rests on money. Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. And all money has a spirit, gods, or mammon that rests on it. See, all the money in your account has either gods or mammon's spirit on it. And how you give, as we talked about two weeks, I'm not talking about tithe here, but how we talked about for the past two weeks is how you get God's spirit on it is you give the first 10%. That's the principle that God has given us to unlock that. And you can go back and listen to that message. But this is key because money is not evil. Money is neutral. We decide what spirit rests upon it based upon our actions. Is it God or is it mammon? People say money is the root of all evil, and it's not true. If we look at 1 Timothy 6.10 in the NIV, which will be up here, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. The love of money. And God says you cannot love, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Is money evil? Luke 16, 9, if you're still there, it asks the question. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, 
that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. I think that's a really interesting uh, part of Scripture because it kind of sounds like he's saying make friends with money so that when you mess up, those friends with money that you use to get with money will give you money. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is take this unrighteous mammon and use it for good. And follow me here. This is one long thought, but it's going to combine the past three weeks into this moment for you. And, And it's important. He's saying, take this money, this neutral, but Satan intends to use for evil, to make you selfish, to focus on you, to use for all kinds of things. Take this, that the enemy means for evil, redeem it by giving the first to the house of God, right? Redeem it so that the rest then will be used to build the kingdom of God. And he says, then when you die, what you're going to see is a bunch of people in heaven. And he calls them your friends. The other way of saying it is brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, then when you fail, meaning when you expire, meaning when you die, then you're going to go to heaven and you're going to see people who will welcome you in to eternity because of your faithfulness. See, every time, this is so cool, every time you take that unrighteous mammon and you give the first to God and he uses it to build the kingdom, you know what's happening? Just punching the devil right in the face. Just like square, full knuckle, maybe break a third finger like right in the face. People are like, that's too intense for church. I'm like, I'm sorry, welcome to Banner. See, because God takes your unrighteous mammon and he turns it into souls. And what this is saying is someday you're going to get to heaven and people from Thailand are going to come up to you and they're going to thank you. And you're like, who are these people? I don't, who is this? You just look at, I don't even know this person. They're going to come up to you and they're going to welcome you in, in the spirit. They're going to welcome you in. And they're going to say, thank you. See, you sent Dana and Bridget to us who told us about the gospel. And so they came and they told us, but we're here because of you. We're here because you gave your unrighteous mammon that the enemy meant for evil. You know what it came? It became a mission. It became souls. It became sharing. It became reaching. Someday we're going to have the Turners. They're going to come share in March. And they're going to talk about what God is doing in downtown Phoenix. And, and part of these people that we, we love. And they're going to share about you gave and I went. But someday they're going to welcome you into heaven and say, listen, I was a soul bound for hell. But you took something unrighteous mammon that the enemy thought he claimed. And you punched him square in the face with it. And I'm here. And the church won, and God won, and Jesus won, and I'm living in his victory. Are you still with me? Listen, when you give, this is not about me getting a salary increase or the church tithing or all these things. I want you to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's what I want for your life. Man, I talk to guys all the time who who struggle with purpose. Men, men in the church, man, we struggle. What is our purpose? How about this month your purpose is just punching the devil in the mouth and plundering hell and populating heaven? I'll give you a purpose. If you want to be a warrior, be a warrior with your giving, and God will use it to bring souls into eternity. And someday when you get there, you're going to have a posse of people. That's why you can have a purpose even in a hospital or in jail. All right, I'm getting too fired up. Third question. What should I do with my money? This is good. 
It's a practical message. I want to empower you for building the kingdom, being a good steward. Some of you might honestly say, uh, I don't even have any of this uh, unrighteous mammon to give to anyone, so it's not necessarily going to, like, I don't net anything in my life. This isn't super helpful for me. Uh, maybe we could pray that I could get some more unrighteous mammon, and then we could come back to this in a couple months. Uh, but I want to encourage you because if your thinking is I have too little to step into this teaching, you're not going to have more. But you step in to what God says about giving. There's a promise of provision. And so I want to encourage you. Luke 16.10, in, in the version we read, says the one who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. See, this is the principle. When God entrusts us with a little, he's saying if we'll be faithful. Because you don't want to entrust much to somebody who's not even faithful with a little bit. These are like practical principles. That's why when a teenager gets hired at a grocery store, they're usually not made manager. They're made like shelf stalker. That's what I did. Bags and dairy and stuff like that. Because like what? we need to see that you're not going to burn the place. Like we're going to see how trust, trustworthy you are. It's about faithfulness. In 1612, in the last two weeks we talked about tithe, and God says the tithe is mine, the tithe is set apart, that, you know, holy, the tithe is set apart, the tithe is mine. And when we look at Luke 16:12, it says, if you are not faithful with another man's, who will give you what is your own? This is interesting. Because when I look at verse 12, here's what I hear. If I'm not faithful with the 10%, who's going to give me the 90 if I'm not faithful with the 10, the small, who's going to give me the, why would they? Who's going to give me the 90? See, God is testing us. We talked about tests a while ago, not temptations, tests. God is testing to see what will you do with the 10% that already belongs to him. Because 1611, if we go back one worse, it says true riches. It's who will entrust to you true riches? True riches, that's interesting. Does that mean like gold in heaven? No, true riches are people. Take a second, look around this room, somebody next to you. Take a second, it's okay, you can do it. People are still staring. I'm, I'll wait till everyone does it. <laughs> that's what's going to last for eternity, right there. Not the body, the soul. The soul is what's going to last for eternity. Souls last for eternity. You know, I, I played in a, in a youth band, and the first thing I learned uh, playing in youth band is all of the things that I own are going to be destroyed by the time I'm done with this season of my life. Um, because a middle school boy has little to no um, peripheral vision. I don't even know what the term is. <laughs> Just doesn't understand that things break until they're broken. And so we would jokingly have this phrase, and it's funny. <laughs> I've heard other pastors joke about this. We'd have this phrase, ah, it's all going to burn. Which is like, we were not high, highly religious, so we, that was our joke. And uh, we're like, oh, yeah, it's all going to burn anyways. Who cares, right? Because, you know, at any point, like a 13-year-old bass player could come crashing in the back of me and break a guitar, which has happened twice. So th these things happen in our life. And we joked about that phrase, but it's true. Like, all of this on the earth will someday pass away. But what remains for all eternities, for all of eternity, is souls. And I know I'm joking in the extreme, but it's true. See, what's going to remain is souls. That's true riches. That's what lasts forever. The soul. This is a battle for souls, not for seats. That's what we're in. 
for souls. God desires the souls. And so when you give, heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered. you got to know it's that important. When you give, heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered. See, you didn't realize you were doing supernatural battle when you gave. You didn't realize the implication. But I'm here to tell you the implication of this. I sit down with people and who testify to the move of God in their life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And they testify because of your faithfulness to give into the ministry that reached them. People say the church is all about money. Like, no, I'm all about the principles of God. But actually, it turns out I, we have to use money to get the gospel to people. Because if you fly it across the ocean, we don't sling those planes into the air with good intentions and Facebook well-wishings. We use gas and, like, people and money and, like, real stuff. Like, Dana and Bridget, surprise, still want to eat in Thailand. Like, I don't know if you knew that. Like, they still are like, we would like food. We would like to continue its consumption, right? And so we think so small. When you are at your job and someone says, how was work? What did you do today? It's not I filled out my expense reports. It's that I plundered hell and I populated heaven because I've been faithful with my giving. If you're sitting in your job wondering, what is my purpose? Let me just give you one. Plunder hell. It sounds good, and it's good for the kingdom, and its purpose. I, I want to encourage you to feel empowered to know that you make a difference. And this is why the devil wants to distract you with the mammon. Because if the devil can get you serving mammon, bowing to mammon, focusing on mammon, then he's not just like stopping you from giving and like getting us lights or something. This is about heaven and hell. And I'm not saying God needs our money to win people for Jesus. But I'm saying he Gives us the opportunity to be a part of that. And I just don't want you to miss it because it's awesome. I have seen people. I have stood in prisons and watched young men who have committed acts of violence discover the love of Jesus Christ and a heavenly father for the first time in their life. And they will someday enter into the kingdom. And I can think to the people who gave to that trip so that we could go and bring the gospel. People that were, that were bound like literally in their bed, couldn't get out. And they probably wondered, what's my purpose in life? But they maybe never knew that there's going to be people in heaven who greet them when they come in. Said, you were part of snatching me from the fire. That's what we're about, church. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. I'm going to give you one more example. I talked about my daughter at the beginning, and you can throw that picture up just because it's the greatest picture on earth. When I, when I first thought, <laughs> the other fathers are like, no, it's not. <laughs> when I first had my daughter, I had two thoughts. One of them was, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this thing? Lord, please help me let this thing live. The other thought was like, oh, my gosh, there's like guys in the world. And <laughs> I was just going through this thought of like, oh, my gosh, someday she's going to date a guy and being a guy I know guys, and oh my God, how do I keep that from happening? <laughs> it's like I'm Googling nunneries at five, you know, like how do I get her into a very monastic way of living at like four, really set her up. It's like, Jesus is your, is your uh, husband now. <laughs> but I do think about this, because honestly, uh, men of the church, if you're raising up boys, like be on your game, because I'm raising up a tough girl, and I don't want her to beat up your kid. Um, 
I don't know. If he has it coming, I guess it is what it is. We'll send him to Jesus. Um, but when I thought this about my daughter, I began to think like and pray, God, would you bring a godly man for my daughter? Someone to love her and protect her. Someone to cherish her and not hurt her. And I, and I begin to think about this because I have, you know, I'll go in the desert and go shooting sometimes. And I think like I could bring a guy out here and really just scare him half to death. And she'll be like, no, Dad, don't do that. I love you. And I'll be like, all right. There's some things I'll make an exception. But here's something I've decided in my life I will not make an exception about. I will not give my daughter to a thief. Follow me here. It's maybe the only thing I'm super intense on in my life is my family. Is that someday, I, I believe a young man, if he's got any kind of manners at all and wants to keep living, is going to come talk to me and ask me to marry my daughter. And my daughter is the most precious thing in my whole life. There is nothing on earth that would keep me from loving on my daughter. Nothing. And someday he's going to come ask me. And there's some things that I'm good on, you know, if he likes, you know, the cowboys or something, we'll let it go. But I'm going to care that he's a tither. And here's why. Here's why. Follow me. If I can't trust him to handle money, why would I trust him with true riches? Follow me here. If I can't trust this guy to give to God what is God's, the unrighteous mammon, why on earth would I trust him with my daughter? I have this conversation with young men that come ask me about gals in the church that they want to date. My answer is this, and if you haven't come talk to me, it's still my answer. Why would I entrust to you I know you're on your journey. I know I'm on your path, but hear me because the Bible is still the Bible. Principle is still the principle. There's not conditions on salvation, but they're still on living life and being in principle in your life. So why, why would I entrust my daughter, the most precious thing in my whole life, to someone who is not faithful with the unrighteous mammon? The Bible says, why would he entrust true riches to us when we are not faithful with unrighteous mammon? And that hit me in my life. Sometimes I feel convicted, often. And it hit me and I was like, God, help me to be continually faithful with the unrighteous mammon because I desire for this church to have an inheritance of true riches. That this church would be full of souls. The kind of people that don't feel like they're worthy to go into a church. They would never go in, but for some reason feel like they can come here. And when they come here, they encounter the love of Jesus Christ that does not judge them, but accepts them. God, I want true riches. God, I want you to know that you can trust me with souls and true riches. Because I want to live on purpose, for a purpose. And so God, help me to be faithful with the unrighteous mammon that you can entrust me with true riches. My prayer for this church is the same for my daughter, that God would bring a generation of people that are trustworthy with the mammon so they can be given true riches. And someday I believe that God's going to bring that young man for my daughter, and I'm excited for that, that he's going to have a great record of, of giving faithfully. But can I encourage you? Man, if you're looking for purpose and identity and to live in principle, can I tell you, when we begin to give to God what is God's, when we begin to follow Him and not man, and we begin to say, God, I need you in my life, not just money, when we begin to give it to Him, it unlocks not only living in principle, but living in purpose. 
you can spend your life, no matter what your job title, your location, your health, your physicality, plundering hell to populate heaven when you live in principle with God. It's not the only principle that does it, but this is the series we're on, so this is one for you. So I encourage you in your heart and in your life, ask God, God, am I serving mammon or am I serving you? Because I want to serve you. I want to give you the unrighteous mammon. I want to give that to you because I desire with all of my heart to plunder the grave of hell and populate the heights of heaven. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me? Again, we're in a series on giving, but it's a series on the heart, so I want to encourage and empower you. If you've already put God first in this, this I, I love that. Just say thank you, Lord. Would you continue to work out what you are working out of my life? It's a great thing. We read a, out of Isaiah this morning in pre-service prayer. It says, the word of God will not return void. That it's going to accomplish everything. So if God's spoken into your life and you've been living in principle with him, I just, just take that moment as we pray to just thank the Lord and ask him, God, would you continue to work out what you promised? But this morning, I want to pray for you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you would be bold enough to say in your heart, God, I need to put you first. I didn't even know I was serving Mammon when I walked in here. And so I don't want to leave here with that feeling. I, I, I just want to serve you. I want to step in with you. I want to put you first in my life. I want to put you first in my heart. And I want to serve you. God, give me the boldness. Give me the faith. If that's you this morning, you're saying, God, I need the boldness and the faith to trust in you to put you first in my life. Here's all I want you to do with every eye closed, every head bowed. Just lift your hand up this morning. God, I need to put you first in my life and my finances. God, give me the faith. Give me the boldness. God, I want to I give that first portion to you so that you'll redeem the rest so that someday when I get to heaven, God, regardless of how worthy or important I feel on earth, I, I, I want to get to heaven and greet some people who have come to know you because of my simple faithfulness. Even if my mammon's only five bucks, God, I still want to encounter some people because of what you've done. And so God, build my faith. Help me to put you first. I wanna pray for you this morning. And our worship band's gonna lead us. We're gonna end in just a time of praise. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that when we say, Lord, would you build my faith? Would you strengthen my heart? I wanna put you first, that you always honor that, that you're always faithful. And so this morning, God, as a church, we ask that you would make us here as the members and people of Banner Church, the kind of church that takes this unrighteous mammon, that gives the first to you, that you would redeem the rest, and God, that you would use it to plunder hell and to populate heaven by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so God, use our simple faithfulness. Use our small faith, God, even as it is now, even if it feels like it's so tiny, God, I pray you would use it and grow it and build it and use it for the glory of your kingdom. That regardless of 
of how we're waking up, we would wake up with the purpose of knowing that we're walking in faith and truth, building the kingdom of God. So this morning, we make a commitment to build our life upon you, to build our life upon you, Lord, to give our lives to you, to commit them to you, to build it on the rock that is Jesus Christ and say, I put you first. I put you first in my life.